Father, we just ask that as we gather around your word right now, that you would begin to speak to us, you'd begin to minister to us, and Lord, you would excite us, uh, Lord, and that you would give us vision where we need vision, impetus where we need impetus, and joy, we pray, and we ask this together in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we gather around the word on the first Sunday of the new year, this message is not so much a visionary message, but more of a kind of rallying of the troops type message, because we gather around the theme, Step Up. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 9. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read together from verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The words that we read today are the words of John the Apostle, and he sets the scene by telling us that he is on the island of Patmos. He also tells us the reason that he is there, and the reason that he is there is because he is preaching the Word of God, and he is testifying about Jesus. And from this, we begin to understand that he has actually been banished to this island as a form of punishment. Now, for him to be banished by the Romans to such an abstract location would have meant that he was, first of all, arrested, tried, and sentenced. And his sentence was to be banished to this remote island. Now, before you begin to think, that sounds like absolute luxury, because <laughs> I get it. It's tomorrow before the kids go back to school, so you're like getting banished to a tropical island sounds like a dream. But before you begin to think that way, let's put it into perspective. Because in those times, being arrested, tried, and sentenced would have involved either beatings and lashings, and most certainly would have involved the individual being put in fetters and chains indefinitely, possibly for the rest of their days, being sent to this island, being banished to this abstract location, where they would have had to have worked in the island quarries with little luxuries, little clothing, and nothing but the ground under their feet for their bed. This was John's experience. And to add to that, theologians reckon that John's banishment to the Isle of Patmos took place some 60 years after Jesus was crucified, which means that as he goes through this stuff, he's actually in his senior years of life. He is old in age, and he's living under severe and cruel conditions, and he's lacking the comfort and the support that is normally required within this stage of someone's life. Now, bring all that together, and it certainly brings a whole new understanding to his opening statement where he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering 
and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus. John is suffering. His whole world has changed through no choice of his own. I'm pretty sure that this was not the retirement plan that he had in mind, but even he, an apostle of Jesus, had to endure hardship. Think about this. He walked with Jesus. He's the one that's described as leaning back against Jesus at the meal at the Last Supper. He was close and intimate enough with Jesus. They contained such a friendship that doing such an action was not deemed as inappropriate, but as acceptable. He was there when Jesus raised Jairus from the dead, Jairus' daughter from the dead. He was chosen out of all of the disciples to journey with Jesus to the mountain where he was transfigured and where he experienced glory, the manifest glory of God, the audible voice of God was heard. He was close to Jesus alongside Peter and James where the three of these disciples out of all of the disciples were those that Jesus was closest to, his right-hand men as it were. Those that he wanted near him in times of trouble and to share special moments with. Jesus was his friend, his actual friend, so much so that he entrusted the care of his mother to John from the cross. Mother, your son, son, your mother. It denotes a closeness to say, when I'm gone, I want you to look after my mum. But more than that, I want you to take my place as her son. Even after Jesus rose again, John was the first disciple to see the empty tomb outrunning Peter to get there first. He was a leading light in the church. He actually led a real move of God. He wrote scripture. God trusted him to record his voice and to reveal his heart. God moved him to record what is regarded by many as the favorite of all the gospels. And in addition to that, he wrote three letters to churches that clearly were under his leadership and his direction. When you pull all of that together, John is one who was so powerfully used by God and was so close to Christ, but yet here he is enduring suffering and facing hardship. And yet there are those out there that peddle this gospel of prosperity that is that God says you have to be rich and you never suffer and everything in in the world has to be tickety-boo and you name it and you claim it and it's yours. But how does that add up with this? This was Jesus' best friend. He was a founding father of the church. He led a move of God. He established churches. And now in his old age, he's alone, banished, suffering, and in pain. How does that add up? See, no one child of God is ever exempt from hardship and difficulty. In fact, John describes his current existence as patient endurance. Endurance which suggests to me, that word endurance suggests to me that he has looked to God for deliverance. He sought him in the midst of his difficulty and discovered that actually God's will for him is to impatiently endure his circumstances. That brings me comfort and encouragement. I don't know about you, because there's times in which we pray and we seek and we fast and we call out and God says, actually, my will is that you patiently endure this, that you keep on keeping on. You think John would shake his fist at God and go, after everything I've done for you, I've looked after your mum, Jesus. 
I've established churches for you. I've given my everything over to this, and here I am now. You think he would shake his fist at God. You think he would question why, but he doesn't. In fact, we find him in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Even in his struggle, he didn't give up. On the Lord's day, on Sunday as it were, he still worshipped. His surroundings were difficult. His one vibrant spiritual walk marked with supernatural exploits and manifestations now seems empty and gone compared to what it was. He is banished. He is alone. But in the midst of the struggle, he still does church. Could it be that the key to patiently enduring in hardship, even when deliverance and rescue doesn't seem to come, is to learn to do church in the midst of your struggle. And by that, I don't mean church. By that, I mean intentionally and purposely seeking God, worshiping Him, connecting with Him, receiving from His heart. Set up church in the middle of your hardship tabernacle your soul, strive to connect with him, intentionally and purposely pursue him in the height of your tribulation, through all, in spite of all, worship him, say even so I choose to worship you, and through all and in spite of all, he will give you the patience and the strength that you need to endure. Now John is described in this moment as being in the spirit, what does that mean? Well, truth be told, we, we don't actually know. But what we can surmise is that whatever is going on, John is under the influence very clearly of the Holy Spirit. See, when you set up church in the midst of your struggle, when you choose to cling to him and hold on to him regardless of your surroundings and your circumstance, God sends his spirit to influence and to minister to your heart because God has this terrible habit of sending his spirit to his church. And we are the church. This is doing church, yes but we are the church. So wherever we are and wherever we go, the church is. And when we choose to intentionally connect with him and reach out for him and find him, regardless of where we are and regardless of what is going on, we've got to be prepared because he will send his spirit. He releases his spirit to the church. Now John is in the spirit on the Lord's day and suddenly he finds himself in an encounter with Jesus. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. John turns to see Jesus among seven golden lampstands holding seven stars. And we're like, well, what does that mean? And quite helpfully, Jesus tells us in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. When John encounters Christ, he sees him amongst the churches. The lampstands represent the church, and Jesus, we're told in Revelation 2 and verse 1, is walking amongst the lampstands. He is present amongst his churches. Now, what happens is this. Jesus brings John into a revelation and an understanding of these seven churches and of the condition of these churches. Jesus begins to talk to John about what's going on within these seven churches. And as the condition of the churches is revealed in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, we see that the condition of the churches is both good and not really so good. He speaks of one church, and as he does, Jesus talks about deeds. He talks about hard work. He talks about perseverance. He, 
He speaks about them standing against charlatans and fakes and enduring hardship. But despite all of those amazing things, he also says of that church that they've lost their passion and forsaken their first love. He speaks of another church and he talks about poverty and he talks about afflictions and he talks about being persecuted and imprisoned. He speaks of another church and he, he says that the church has stayed true to the faith yet allowed false religion and false worship at the same time. And you're like, how, how does that work? How do you stay true to the faith but yet allowing false worship and false religion? He talks about love and faith and service and brilliant growth within the ministry of another church, yet at that exact same church, he says that there are controlling and manipulative spirits and controlling and manipulative individuals that have been permitted to influence that church's gatherings and that church's people. One church, he says, appears to be spiritually alive. By all intents and purposes, it looks like it's thriving and it looks like it's growing and it looks like it's busy, but he says if you look under the surface, it is spiritually dead, it's just froth. And to one church, he speaks of opportunity and obedience. And to another, he says, you're lukewarm and you're useless. Now, this isn't glowing press for the churches in this region, the region of Asia Minor. This is a mixed bag of reports here. They have their good points and they have their bad points. And some of them are good and bad in equal measure. Some of them are up against it and some of them have lost it and sold out completely. And do you know what? It's incredible to read that and to think that even in the days of Scripture, the Bible records churches that are flawed and mixed up. Churches that have moments of incredible success and moments of painful failure. And when you look at these churches and you look under the surface and you begin to look at the root of these issues, you begin to see that actually they're familiar Truly, there is nothing new under the sun because their issues are problems with people, with culture, with influences, with vision, with direction. And you know what? We can be so quick at times to look at the church landscape round about us and point and criticize. We can be so quick even to look at our own church culture and call out the good and the bad in equal measure, the flaws, the people, the influences. In fact, after a period of time, some folk look around their churches, highlight the negative and go and join another one until the glitter falls off there too and they end up in this constant cycle. But you know what? Here is a mixed bag of churches in Revelation. Some of them are on the right lines, some of them are dancing in and out of the lanes. Some of them can't even see where the line was in the first place. But you know what? Jesus is walking amongst those churches. He is present amongst those churches. To such churches mixed up and messed up, he is speaking. He is ministering. He is at work. And the very vision that John has and the message that he has given shows that Christ is still influences people, still at work within his churches, still speaking and guiding. You see, churches are not perfect. Do not ever believe that lie. Churches are not perfect. And the landscape of church in our nation right now is far from great. The press, the headlines can cause us at times to despair. Sometimes it doesn't hit the headlines, but we see it in social media and we, we hear of it where another has fallen and another has failed. 
and another is distorted, and another is bullying, and another is controlling. But you know what? We take encouragement from this. Right now, Jesus is walking amongst his lampstands in Scotland. Amen? Jesus has not given up on his church. He is still moving. He is still speaking. He is still ministering. Does the church and our nation have a future? Yes, because Jesus is walking amongst his lampstands. But let's bring that closer to home a little bit. This church is not perfect. If you look, you will see its good points and you will see its bad points, its flaws, where it fails. In fact, if you look hard enough, I'm sure you'll be able to see good points and bad points in equal measure. This church is not perfect. We will never profess to be perfect. And please, may we never announce that we are the best church in Glasgow because we're not. May we never announce that we're better than any other church. May we never encourage people to leave church and come to our church. That's not God's heart. This church is not perfect. But that's okay because Jesus is walking amongst this lampstand. He is moving. He is speaking. He is ministering. He knows that we are not perfect. He knows where we're at and he hasn't given up on us. Now let me be a wee bit direct. Permit me. If you're here because you've left a church that you've taken issue with, a church that has failed or a church whose vision and culture has, in your opinion, become distorted along the way, entrust that church to the one who walks among the lampstands. You may have written that church off from your perspective, but he hasn't from his. However, here comes a warning with that. After a while... I guarantee, in fact, I prophesy as the most accurate prophecy you'll ever hear me deliver. At some point in your journey, if it hasn't happened already, you will find something at this church that is far from ideal. You will find something that you take issue with, something that we get wrong along the way, because we are not perfect. And sometimes the default can be to up sticks and go, particularly when we've left another church because of reasons that have caused us to feel unsettled, we up sticks and go. So when we arrive in another church and the same thing happens, we up sticks and we go. And the problem is we get caught in a cycle of learned behavior. The harder challenge is to not give up, but instead to step up. Let me explain what I mean by that. John here is shown a vision of the churches in the Asia Minor. And he sees and he understands what is going on and he comes to the conclusion that the church isn't perfect. It's in black and white for us and it's called out clear as day for him. But what happens next is amazing and I think it's what God wants to speak to us about today. In Revelation 4 verse 1, after he's come out of the vision of the churches, it says, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. It says, after this, after the vision of the churches, Jesus speaks to John and gives him an invitation. 
come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Jesus invites John to change his position. He says, come up here. Some translations say, come hither. Some say, come up higher. The Greek word, we're slipping into some Greek because I know you love it, right? The Greek word that's used here is the word anabeno, which means to arise, ascend, to climb up or come up. And the word anabeno is actually made up of two words, ana and beno, which means to walk up or to step up. So Jesus says to John here, step up. Now, this phrase can have two meanings when we use it. When we talk about stepping up, to step up can mean to increase, to go to the next level, to change momentum and impact, to increase intensity and effort. For example, we could say that we're going to step things up a gear or step things up a notch or we're going to step on it or we're going to step things up a bit. But equally, the phrase step up can also mean to take responsibility, to take action, to come forward. For example, stepping up to the plate. Now, John here, he, he sees the conditions of the churches in that area. And you've got to remember, he's an apostle. He's walked with Christ. He's a leading light in the church. He's helped lead a move of God. He's helped shape the early church. He's brought oversight to the church in Jerusalem. And from those, pretty much every other church that came into existence had its existence. And here he is, removed from such a ministry, banished to an island, unable to input the way that he once did. And when he heard the condition of the churches, it would have been natural for him to feel disheartened. He would have felt a connection to these churches. He's an apostle. Church planting, church leadership is his mandate. It's what he's called to do. But circumstances have changed and life situations prevent him from doing that which he once did and stopped him inputting the way that he was made to do. It would have been natural for him to feel downheartened and even to have given up. Put yourself in his, in his chains for a moment. He's given his whole life for this. He's imprisoned in this moment because he was being faithful to what he believed God was calling him to do. He'd given his whole life to starting and raising up churches and leading churches. And now he's getting given this picture. Jesus turns up in his difficult moment and he's like, yippee here we go, Jesus. And what Jesus shows him is that his entire life's work has ended up a mess. What he's given his everything to is in tatters. It would have been natural for him to give up and to think, sod this. I've given my whole life for this, sod this. It would be natural for him to feel down, but God speaks to him and he says, John, don't give up, step up. Change your position, change your momentum, increase intensity and effort, take responsibility, take action. Now, on a literal sense, he says that. Because he says, come up here, and he, he shows him the, the throne room of heaven. That's quite literally next level spirituality right there. If that's not kicking up a gear, I don't know what is. This call to him literally changes the intensity and momentum of his whole spiritual life and his whole walk of faith. So you could argue, actually, this is just a literal step up for him to see into the throne room and, and what's coming next. But this call to step up is also a call to take action. Because what he has been shown is what he is to write. And he does write it because we're reading it and we're talking about it. 
But what he's been shown, he's to write to the churches in the Asia Minor. He's to reveal to them what they need to know and what they need to do, what the voice of God is saying, the ministry that they need to move forward as a people. And here we learn a massive life lesson and a massive ministry lesson. When the situations of life begin to get you down, when circumstances change out with your control and you begin to lose sight of purpose and direction, don't give up, step up. Change your position, change your stance, change your attitude, change your mindset, change your company, change your influences, change your momentum, slow your pace down, speed your pace up, try something new, release some of the stuff that you've been holding on to and carrying, press into God, aim for the next level, take responsibility, take action, take steps to move forward, don't give up, step up. And to step up is to step into change. Four things happen, we see here, when John steps up. Four changes are the result of him stepping up. And permit me as we, we turn a corner in this message and we begin to call these out and we begin to speak at them in the you, because in some senses as we look at each one, we want to call them out and say, perhaps is this what God is saying to you this new year? Is this perhaps what the action that you need to take to step up? So for, forgive me for going to the you, but please understand Every one of them is one that I'm wrestling with personally myself too. As John steps up, his position gets changed. He steps up and he changes his position in response to the voice of God. So God literally is positioning here, positioning him here. And look at what Jesus says to him. He says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. God invites John to step up because he wants to show him something. He wants him to see something. To step up is to be positioned for vision. Jesus wants to alter John's vision. In fact, he wants to give him a brand new vision. He wants to give him a vision of that which is beyond his current circumstances and a vision of that which actually will strengthen and encourage him and give him what he needs to endure in his current hardships. Because what Jesus gives to John is a vision of God on the throne. He sees the sovereignty of God over all. He sees the lamb that was slain. He sees the multitude that will come out of great tribulation and come through the ministry of the church on the earth. He sees the new heaven and the new earth. And his altered vision and his transformed spiritual perspective gives hope to his discouraged heart. This vision, such a powerful and transformative vision, gives him strength to hold on and to never give up because he sees the multitude from every nation under heaven. He sees multitudes carrying the victory of Christ, multitudes marked by the salvation of Christ. This vision now actually contrasts the initial vision that he was given. In his initial revelation, Jesus describes to him and gives him a vision of a church, and he gives him a vision of a church that is limping, a church that is flawed and messed up, mixed up, broken and distorted. But now, now he sees the church victorious. Now he sees the church resplendent in the beauty of Christ, the church that is immeasurable and impossible to count, diverse and united, gathered from all the nations of the world. In one vision, the vision of the current context, he becomes disheartened. But as he steps up and allows Christ to alter his vision, 
he sees that the one who walks among the lampstands is the one who takes the church across the finish line in stunning triumph. That transformed vision shows him that all is not lost. That transformed vision responds to his despair with strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. That transformed vision causes his soul to smile and gives motivation for endurance. When he stepped up, his vision was altered and so therefore was the condition of his soul. What he saw brought strength to him. What he saw brought encouragement to him. And you know, at the threshold of a new year, Maybe, just maybe, God is calling to us. It's time to step up, to change momentum, to increase intensity, to take responsibility, to take action, to come higher. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to alter the vision of our soul in order to transform the culture that it carries. Maybe for you, a new year requires a new lens, a new perspective a transformed outlook. Perhaps the tinted glasses that you hold over your soul and are there for a very good reason because of what you've been through, but perhaps the tinted glasses that you hold over your soul and the impact the way that you see the world and the way that you interact with the world, perhaps they need to come off. Maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to let go of some of the things that have shaped the way that you view people and the way that you view circumstances. Perhaps he's saying to you, it's time to let that go. It's time to move on. It's time to release its grip that it would no longer define the way that you see and the way that you feel and the way that you live. God may not always lift us up, up out of our circumstances. He may not always wave his magic wand and remove the affliction from us because he doesn't seem to do that here with John. But he might just call us to change gear within that. To embrace a shift in the soul. He might call us to allow him to alter our vision and perspective because in changing the vision of the soul, he changes the culture that the soul carries. Maybe this new year, what you need is an altered vision. Maybe as you step into this new year, for you to be what you're called to be and to do what you're called to do, maybe you need to come to him and say, okay, God, give me a vision, a new vision. And by that, I don't mean like a big vision for life. But by that, I mean, God, could you change the lens over my soul? Could you remove the tinted glasses? Could you let me see the way that you want me to see? And to do that, we need to start looking and finding and seeing the one that walks among the lampstands. Jesus says to him, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. The wording here is quite important. God wants to show John what must take place. He wants to show him what has been ordered to take place, what has been decreed to take place, what God has planned will take place. In other words, John gets a glimpse of God's plan and his purpose and his agenda. And it's God's agenda for what is going to take place after this. He says, come up here and I'll show you what will take place after this. In other words, John is showing what the next step is, what happens when he steps up, what the next level contains and looks like. To step up is to be positioned for purpose. 
When we change our position, when we change our stance, when we change our mindset and our attitudes, our momentum and intensity, when we choose to press into God and to see beyond our current, current context, and when we begin to add to that action and we begin to take the steps that are needed for the next level, God then steps in and positions us for purpose. And New Year is always a time when we reflect on where we have been and we look forward to where we're going. There is a fresh sense of determination with a new year. There is a desire at times to action change. And as Christians, that can often come with this desire and this sense of seeking to marry the new year with the call of God that's on our lives and, and the promises that He's spoken. But if we're brutally honest, the new year can feel a bit like a repetitive cycle where we find ourselves as Christians just back at the same place that we were, but just a wee bit older, a little bit grayer, maybe a wee bit fatter, and some wrinkles. And when we look back behind us, we can see that 365 days are behind us, but not much ground has been covered during that time, spiritually speaking at least. Maybe this new year, God is calling you to step up, to make some shifts, to change momentum, to take action, to step into some responsibility because what he wants to do is he wants to position you for what must come next. He wants to position you for purpose. And we often think that when we step into the purpose of God, that's when all the stars align and there's a special anointing released from heaven. And at that magic moment, God just seems to make it all magically appear and manifest in front of us. Truth is, God doesn't so much make it magically appear as he journeys with our souls and he tells us to let go of some stuff and he brings us to a place where we pick up some stuff and he stretches us and he molds us and he shapes us. And as he does that, as we take responsibility for our souls and we respond to his voice and we embrace his momentum and we shed that stuff and pick up new stuff and take action and take the steps to move forward in God, God actually uses those things to position us exactly where we need to be for his purpose. I guess what I'm trying to say here is this. We often think that purpose unfolding is about us waiting on God to make it magically happen when often God is waiting for us to, to step up and take responsibility in order for it to happen. See, sometimes the biggest barrier to the positioning of purpose isn't the delayed anointing from heaven, but often it's our own willingness to surrender, to be obedient, to take responsibility, to step up and to step into what God has called us to. And so maybe this new year, maybe this new year, the steps that you need to take are those that you know in your knower that he's calling you to take. Those things that aren't really rocket science. You don't need a big revelation from heaven. Maybe the steps you need to take are to make time for his word, to make time to be in his presence to alter some habits and change some connections. Maybe it's more than just knowing these things though because knowing these things isn't the hard bit. Taking action on those things is the hard bit. But when we take action on the things that we know instinctively within ourselves that he's calling us to do, here is the guarantee. We will see purpose unfolding as a result. He will manifest his purpose. 
However, let's not skip past the fact that when Jesus invites John to step up, he, he invites him to step up to an open door, the scripture says. I saw before me an open door and the voice says, come up, step up. An open door speaks of opportunity. Throughout the New Testament, Paul often talks about opportunity for the gospel amongst different people as, as an open door or as a door opening amongst them. Even today, we talk about an open door as a metaphor for an opportunity. And so we learn as we turn this into a conclusion that to step up is to discover opportunity. When we choose to press into God, when we choose to take responsibility, He trusts us with opportunities, and the parable of the talents proves this. To the servants that, stooped, that stepped up, who, who sought to take what the master had given and, and to take them to a new level, to those who took responsibility for what they had been given and took action with what they'd been given, well, the master gave more. Whereas to the one who refused to take responsibility or action, the master removed the investment and the talent. Those that stepped up discovered new opportunities. And maybe this new year, God is calling you to recognize and step into the opportunities that are right in front of you. Perhaps as you look across the landscape of this next year, you can already see or maybe will see God opening doors and providing you with adventures, bold moves, and new things to explore. And if you see them, step up and take them. Grab new adventures with both hands. Be bold and explore. Take big steps and own the opportunities that he provides for you. However, notice for a moment that this invitation to John is not just to step up, but is also to step in. The inference is not that the open door is something that John just has to step up to. Get to the top step, John, and you're there. But it's also something that he's to step through. And when he does, he sees the very throne room of God. He sees revelations of God's heart. He sees the Father. He sees the Son. He sees the Spirit. This is life-altering, faith-transforming experience that he has. John is transformed. You can't see heaven and glory and the Lamb that was slain and the one seated on the throne and remain the same. To step up is to discover intimacy, it's to discover revelation, it's to discover complete transformation because when you step up, God steps in. So whatever way it is that he's calling you to step up, whether it's to alter vision, whether it's to let him alter the culture of your soul, whether it's taking actions and steps to be positioned for purpose, whether it's exploring the new opportunities that he's set before you, or even just having courage to actually for one step into the ones that he's already put in place. Whatever it is, the promise is this. When you step up, God steps in. The guarantee of stepping up is greater intimacy, deeper revelation, and transformed life. And we know this because God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Step up and I will step in. So let me ask you, how is he asking you to step up? In what ways, even instinctively, do you need to step up in 2024? To step up is to find an open door, and at the top of that step, on the other side of that door, is a journey into the heart and the presence of God that is transformative in nature and defining an experience. How is he asking you to step up? And as you begin to ponder that today and in the days ahead, 
we also need to begin to take this on board as a church. Because I really do believe that God is calling us as a church to step up. To step up to an open door. And without sounding like a cheesy poet, I think he's calling us to step up to an open door in 2024. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But, but I, I genuinely do. He's calling us to the next level of ministry and purpose. He seeks to alter our momentum, to bring increase and change, change their position, change their definition. But here's the deal. The only way that we can step up as a church is if each of us within the church step up. It's not, it's not me standing at the front going, we're now going to step up that makes it happen because that, that's just nonsense. We are the church. So the only way that this church can step up is if we each step up. If we all change our position, change our momentum, aim for the next level, increase our intensity and efforts, press into God, if we all take responsibility and action. Now, what does that look like? Well, it might look like different things for each of us. It could look like stepping up our attendance and consistency. Do you know, COVID has changed the way that we, that we do church. During COVID, when we were watching it on a screen, you could watch it any time, really. Didn't need to be Sunday morning. Didn't need to plug in. You could catch up at any time. You could go and do something, catch up another point. And the problem has been that actually, in returning from that, we've kind of kept some of those habits a little bit. Do you know that if every person that was connected to Glasgow Elam turned up on one Sunday morning, we would not have enough seats in here? What would happen if we stepped up our attendance and consistency? What would happen if, as an entire church, we turned up in God's presence as one united and says, here we are, God. Do what you want to do in us and through us. I genuinely believe that incredible things could begin to happen. And incredible things could begin to take place. Maybe this year he's calling us to step up in that. To say, okay, God, I'm going to come and not just in terms of for the church, but I'm going to come and I'm going to prioritize being in your house and being in your presence and hearing your word and worshiping you alongside my brothers and sisters and encouraging one another and functioning in our gifts and our services and our ministries. I'm going to, I'm going to place that as a priority in this year. I really think God could begin to do something phenomenal. Maybe stepping up looks like stepping up at engagement at an involvement. Maybe it looks like moving from being a consumer to being part of community. From I just come and I just sit in my seat and I just worship and receive and then I go to actually I'm coming to be part of something and I'm going to engage and I'm going to involve and I'm going to give what I can give and do what I can do. Maybe stepping up looks like stepping up our giving. Stepping up our tithing. And stepping up as in doing it. Do you know that if every person in this church tithed, we would have significant resource to make a huge impact in our community and in our city. There are resources in our house that are untapped and unlocked and need to be unlocked. Church, maybe this year God's saying, step up with your giving. Tithe. Bring the tithe into the storehouse, the word of God says, that there may be food in my house. The first place that the tithe arrives is into his church. 
And maybe God is saying, do you know what? It's time to step up in giving of what we have and giving of who we are, giving our time. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to connect with people. I'm going to join a hub. I'm going to get involved in ministries. I'm going to come along to the things that are in place. Maybe stepping up looks like stepping up in worship, stepping up in ministry, stepping up in prayer, coming and saying, do you know what? I'm not going to wait till I'm G'd up within the service. From the moment I arrive, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to worship him with all that I've got. I'm going to connect and respond to ministry. Maybe stepping up looks like putting our roots down and saying, okay, this is home. This is where he's called me to be. So I'm putting my roots down and I'm laying claim that this is the ground that I am planted in. And I'm going to love this house as God loves this house. It's easy to look around and see the flaws and the stuff that isn't right. And do you know what? I see it too. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. This is all a work in progress. But you know what? God looks at the church. He sees all of that and more, and he still loves his church. Maybe we need to embody his heart and love the house that he calls us to, to be part of. Whatever way it is, the only way that we can step up as a church is if we all step up to what God has next, we bring our yes, we bring our heart, and we bring what we have and say, okay, God, here we are. Take us, mold us, shape us to be whatever you're calling us to be. And when we step up, God steps in and he positions us as a church for vision. He positions us for purpose. He releases to us opportunities. And you know what? I really do believe that there are some opportunities that God wants to release to us within our community and within our city. But the only way that we can fully step into those things is when we together as a people step up for him. And when we step up, he brings us to a place of intimacy as a church, revelation, transformation. It's time for us as a church to step up and to step in to all that God has for us. Glasgow, you'll amend this next year. Will you join me in stepping up to what God has called us to? Why don't we stand together?